Well, this series called The Bible Speaks, and we thought it important to talk about some of the controversial issues of the day, not particularly because they're controversial, but because the Bible has a lot to say to a world that does not appear to have figured these things out. I mean, the things that we're gonna talk about, there's a reason they're so contentious in our culture, and we'd like to have the Bible speak into that. The first of these topics is racial unity. And our church addressed that some last year, and we, we had some viewpoints and some understanding of how the scripture looks at it. But over the next few lessons, and we're gonna make a thread that moves through this, and by the end of these, I think, three lessons, I hope that you will have several things happen, that you will learn a great deal about what's going on in the world and the radically different way the Bible talks about these issues. Secondly, that you would be affirmed in your faith. And thirdly, I'd like to end with a very practical way forward. So that's where we're going. But I think there's probably a little proviso at the beginning, and that is I understand this is a very emotional topic to a lot of people. I mean, not just white people, black people, the idea of discrimination or racism, some of the things that we're going to talk about are emotional and I understand that. In fact, it's probably in our cultural moment impossible to walk through the minefield of race relations without stepping on and causing a few explosions. And I want you to know at the beginning, that is not my intent. The second thing is that I understand that when we bring up certain pieces of information in our polarized culture, people will then assume and put one in a box that says, well, that means you completely disagree with this other idea. That's also not necessarily true. We could talk for a long, long time about the history, about the ideas, about uh, politics, economics, sociological impacts of race in America and in the church. And so my task has been to curate that, meaning let's pull that into what I believe will be and I hope to be an honest broker of information. In other words, present to you a very balanced view of how people look at this and paint the landscape of what are we dealing with and then accurately portray to you, again, the radical nature of what the Bible has to say to us about this topic. Third warning is you can't say everything in one lesson, and so I would just ask you for a little grace that just because I don't say something doesn't mean I don't believe it's true. Uh, the idea of winnowing this information is really less to tell you what I think and more to tell you what the Bible has to say and in some way be helpful to you. So that's the fine print at the bottom of this contract, so we've now read all the fine print and we can move on. So, our purpose is to understand the prevalent viewpoint driving race discussions in the public square. We will start with our culture. We will move to the church because what's happening in our culture, it's not like there's a boundary at the door and those ideas don't move into the church. So I'd like to talk about the prevalent viewpoint driving race discussions in America in the public square. I want us to understand it. 
In 1 Chronicles, it talks about the tribe of Issachar. And the men of Issachar, it said, understood the times, and that helped them to be wise in making decisions. And I hope that we too, through understanding what's happening, can be wise as we engage our culture for the sake of the kingdom of God. The second thing is, I really, in our next lesson, we'll move into the church and we're gonna look at how radical the Bible is. When you understand how our culture is approaching this issue, when we get to how the Bible approaches it, it is, it's not even in the same universe. The Bible has an extremely different way of looking at this that I think leads to human flourishing. You can make up your own mind. And then finally, I'd like for us to chart a very practical way forward for believers. In other words, what can we leave here and begin to do that is biblically faithful way to bring healing to our churches and to our nation? Now that sounds like a big task, and if you were relying on my wisdom, it would be an impossible task. But I do believe that the Word of God will guide us in how to accomplish those things. So those are the things that we want to do in this series. Well, I told you this is going to be a little emotional and I'd like to, as best we can, to just put a little grace on this whole thing and begin to come, as God said to Isaiah, come let us reason together. But I thought I'd just go ahead and get the shock value out of the way because there's one point I wanna make at the beginning that's gonna go through all of these lessons. So. A little bit shocking. If you saw these images on a constant basis, what would you think about police? I, picked, I could have picked a lot of things, but this is in our news. You see, my point to you is, is that the images that we see and the stories that we are told determine the emotional response that we have. The images that we routinely see and the stories that we are routinely told determine our emotional reaction. If those are the pictures I saw, I would have, let me just be polite and say, an extremely negative view of police officers. If you saw this set of pictures on a regular basis and you heard this story you would have a very different idea of police officers as a category, as a group. That's not a particularly controversial thing that I'm saying. You all realize that. Here's the interesting point. Which one is true? Well, the answer is, well, there is some truth in both of those pictures, aren't there? But the series of pictures that you see determines your emotional reaction. And that is because we begin to project motives onto a whole class of people because of sometimes a very narrow set of information that is being pushed on us. I simply am make, I'm not trying to make any controversial point, I simply wanna say we need to be a little bit careful that many of our emotional responses have been caused by certain slices of reality. All these pictures, are true, They're all, they all really happened. And the individuals in them may be doing something good, they may be doing something bad, but it would be impossible to accurately draw a conclusion about all police officers from this. Fair enough? 
I'll give you a great example of this. This is a true story. I just need to get it out because I need a little therapy. It really upset me at the time. So earlier this week, it was on Monday, I was driving down May Avenue. I wanna be a little careful here because it could have been one of you that pulled out in front of me. And if so, no hard feelings. Okay, so I'm driving down May Avenue. I see a, a, a lady, okay, in the, I, take, I ascribe no significance to that fact whatsoever. I, I mean, I really don't. But I saw a lady getting ready to pull out and there's traffic coming and she's looking right, you know, she's looking left. And when she looks left, she's looking at me and I'm coming. And so then she looks back at me and I, I'm not exaggerating this. At the last second, she pulls out and her face is etched in my memory because you know how it happens? Because she's looking right at me. It's not like, oh, I looked right and took off and oh my goodness, I forgot to look back the other way. Oh no, you're not getting off on that. She was looking right at me. I slammed on the brakes. We narrowly avoided that. And she just complacently looked at me as she went around. She was not nearly as upset as I was. Seems to me she should have been. What did I think in that moment? My first thought she was looking right at me. How rude, how irresponsible. What a horrible driver. In fact, I'm offended. She cared so little about me. What am I doing there? I figured out what her motives were and now I'm all upset about her motives. Then a little voice. It was the voice of God. And for me, the voice of God sounds a lot like my wife. Uh, but. <laughs> comes into my head and says, you know, it's possible that even though she was looking in your direction, she didn't actually see you, notice you. And I thought, I have done that before. You know, I've actually been looking but not noticing. And I thought, what if that's what happened? Well, that changes entirely how I feel. All I feel is grateful that we didn't have an accident and you know, I could have done the same thing. Notice how different my emotional reaction is and it made all the difference in what motives I ascribed. Fair enough? Now one of those two things is true. Which one do I choose to believe? Well, all I'm saying is that's gonna determine my emotional state. So that's a point I wanted to make at the outset because I think all of us in trying to be quote, unbiased, all of us trying to look at this as reasonable people, as godly people, need to be careful that every single one of us are tempted to project motives on someone when the actions and the motives we project are usually determined by the images and the stories we have heard. Does that make sense? So we're gonna try to not jump to those conclusions, to let the things speak for themselves. All right, well you probably know uh, some of these scenes are familiar to you from last year. They had to do with protests, and which I think are very good things, and riots, which I think are just in general not good things. People get hurt, and a lot of people did, unfortunately. And you may wanna argue, I realize we have people here of various points of view, and I welcome that. But you, know, you may argue, well, it was justifiable, and there were reasons for it. I'm not arguing any of those points. I'm simply saying we have a problem. And I mean literally, we have a problem. This isn't their problem. Racial unity in the United States 
and in the church, I'll just go ahead and, and broadly say, we have a problem that needs to be addressed. It's not, well, you just need to have an attitude adjustment or you just aren't thinking right. If you just step back, regardless of our disagreements, we're all in this together, certainly in the church, but also in our culture. And we all are part of this. You know, I remember the, uh, I was very young, but I do remember in 1968, some of the race riots in Watts and Chicago, et cetera, and seeing those on TV. And I understood them at the time. And I believe they're commonly understood as literally racial conflict, blacks, versus whites to use. I really hate using that terminology, but I'm going to because that's what our culture uses. But basically, racial. This is different, and I just wanna make that one point before we move on. In those uh, era, that was very much black and white clashing. That is not the entire story today. Let me show you some other pictures. If you've been paying attention when the news was covering these things, just look at these pictures. This is not all about black people versus white people. Is there a racial component to this? Of course there is, I'm not denying that. I'm saying that's not all that's going on here. And I think that's really important to understand. Racial discussions in America today are indeed somewhat about race, but they are about more than race. They are actually about a competing view of the world. Some of what I'm about to tell you, in, I'm gonna tell it in a very condensed form, we covered in the series Moses, Muhammad, and Marx. And the second and third lecture talked about social and cultural Marxism. In this lesson, I'm gonna to refer to that a little bit, but I'm actually gonna focus on critical race theory, which is sort of a subset of that. Does that make sense? But what's happening today is a conflict of ways of looking at the world. It's not just black versus white, a, a history of racial discrimination and inequality versus those who have perpetrated that. It's more than, it's not less than that, but it is more than that. And let me tell you what I mean. If you think about what is driving, what is the idea, the worldview, the story, that's driving race discussions in America today. The predominant view is not the liberal democratic ideas of 1964 when the Civil Rights Act was passed. That was what is called traditional liberal democratic values. Now there were conservative values and they didn't always agree. Civil Rights Act passed largely bipartisan, but my point is it tapped into what are called liberal ideas, and I don't mean liberal as in your politics or way, left or right. What I mean is, is that the idea of equality, certain things like that, that was the ideology behind that. That is not the dominant ideology in race discussions in our culture today. That dominant story is called the, what I call the modern secular story. If you listen to the news, if you watch, you're gonna see these ideas over and over. This isn't about equality anymore. It's not about less than that. It's about far, far more than that. The modern secular story is piggybacking in the last 40 years or so on the rise of an idea called social or cultural Marxism. I won't go into great detail and explain how that got there, 
You can see the other series for that if you'd like. But basically, social or cultural Marxism, which was in academia 40 years ago, being written about, you get a whole generation of college students come out thinking about the world in this way. And if you watch the news and you listen to these, and I've just given you a few bullet points, these bullet points you're gonna go, oh my goodness, absolutely, that's why those folks are saying that. Here's what the modern secular story, how they see the world. The world is made up of different groups of people, identity groups. You may be in several identity groups, some of which are dominant, right-handed people, some of which are an oppressed minority, left-handed people. Can I get an amen from the lefties out there? Yes, that's what I'm saying, it's oppressive. But you get my point, I'm not trying to be facetious, but my point is, is that everybody fits in certain identity groups. They define who you are, and there's a power differential between those groups. Whites, blacks, men, women, people of color, indigenous people, all different kinds of groups, and that's how you're defined. The conflict and tension between those groups, and for this particular series of lessons, I wanna focus on race. What I'm gonna tell you about race is not unique to race. In other words, you're gonna see this happening in other parts of our society, but we wanna talk about, in my view, the single largest social uh, challenge that we have, and the single largest uh, healing that needs to happen for us as Christians in the church. The conflict and tension between groups is inevitable and it is necessary, very Marxist idea. Marx was an economist, very Marxist idea. You're in an identity group and identity groups compete with one another. Some have power, some don't have power, and some are oppressed, and man, that's just not right. Truth is simply a viewpoint and is relative to one's identity group. There is no universal truth. What I am saying, to, for example, I'll use myself as an example. What I am saying to you today is not true. It's just what a white male in America wants you to believe. In other words, every group, and that's true for every group, not just me. Every group is telling their story, and guess who's the hero of their story? They are. Now, as Christians, this is not what we believe to be true, but this is the view of the modern secular story, that truth is simply a, a tool to be wielded against less powerful groups. Thirdly, justice is not objective, meaning there's not a thing called justice that applies to all people at all times. There's no such thing. Justice itself is a tool that powerful groups, the right-handers, wield against the less powerful groups, left-handers. Trying to use that because that's the only non-inflammatory one I can think of, but left-handers, rise up, unite. Justice is measured by how it serves to address the balance of power. You watch the news, you'll see these things, you'll go, no wonder, that's why they see that. For example, a person in a power group can commit an action that is considered morally wrong, it's unjust. A person in a less powerful group can commit the same action and it is no longer unjust. In other words, just as truth is relative to the group that you are in, so is justice. This is part of the modern secular story. And then finally, moral actions, the whole idea of right and wrong, only has meaning 
in how it serves oppressed groups. Right and wrong completely depends on which group that you are in. The same action can be wrong for one group and right for another group, okay? Now, I'm not teaching you this like, oh yeah, this is what you should believe, but I want you to watch and see. This is the story. This is the view of the world that is dominant in our culture. And this, a subset of this, called critical race theory, which is exactly based on this, uh, this framework, this way of looking at the world, is the dominant conversational mechanism in our culture. I make no judgments about this. We're going to learn and we are going to walk around this problem and understand the points of view. We are going to talk about how radically different the Bible sees this, but I don't think you can appreciate that to understand the narrative in our culture. So what is then, if you by, believe this modern secular story, what then is the diagnosis of the problem of race in America? That diagnosis is called critical race theory. Now, critical race theory, Carl Truman's keen observer of the culture, uh, Christian, but this isn't particularly from a Christian point of view, it's simply an observation. Critical race theory, like other critical theories, I'll talk about that in a second, because I want us to understand it. Ask questions if I'm going too fast or you don't understand it. This is important to understand how the conversation in our nation is happening, on what basis. Critical race theory, like other critical theories, like post-colonialism, queer theory, et cetera, uh, is self-certifying. Sometimes when you hear the word critical theory, you think, oh, that's scientific. Oh, not at all. I mean, that isn't what that means at all. It is a belief system. That's what he means when he says it's self-certifying. It's a belief system. You can't go to a science lab and say, yep, that's it. Critical theory is the, the way the world works. You can't prove that this makes sense or it explains life. It is self-certifying. It's basic claims, for example, that racism is systemic, that being non-racist is impossible, and I will show you that in a minute. All he's saying is those claims are not conclusions drawn from arguments. Fair enough? I mean, and this is not controversial. This is correct. They are axioms of a belief system. They cannot be challenged by those who do not disagree with them. If you challenge it and you say, hey, wait a minute, I challenge your assumption that racism is systemic. What's the answer? That's because you're a racist. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not being facetious. Do you see what I'm saying? In other words, those who offer criticism are by definition part of the problem. So it is a belief system. It's a very fervent belief system. I would say it's a very fundamentalist belief system. It's got sins. It's got repentance, short on forgiveness, but it's definitely got good and bad sins and forgiveness. So critical race theory is the way many, many people look at this in our culture. What are some of the precepts of this idea? Critical theory in general, critical race theory is not the first critical theory. For a long time, there's been something called critical legal studies. Uh, there is critical Hispanic theory. There's a cr critical theory applied to various social problems. Critical theories, that name, all it means is it's a philosophy, it's a belief system that social problems, like let's say, prejudice, inequality, race relations, 
right? Social problems are caused by societal structures, not by individual actions. I wanna say that again. This is the basis for this whole world view. It's not one that maybe you share, but I want us to understand critical theories in general, whatever they're looking at, economics, uh, race, uh, legal system, say that social problems like racism are the result of societal structures, economic structures, political structures, judicial structures, etc., not the result of individual actions. That makes sense? That's why you see, and one of the corollaries to this, and I'm just simply explaining this to you, that's why you'll see a lot of victimhood talk. You've noticed that, that our culture talks about victimhood. I'm not talking about just race now, it's just in general. Yes, I did something wrong, but I mean, CEOs do this. Yes, I was embezzling money, but you know, I had a hard childhood. I'm being a little facetious, but you, you're hearing what I'm saying and you've seen this for some time. That is a result of thinking that social problems, things even that happen to me, are the result of societal structures, a bad justice system, a rigged economic system, etc. Now, that is an element of belief that that is true, that it has a lot less to do with individual actions. In other words, if the lady that pulled out in front of me, say we'd had a wreck, God forbid, and I'm grateful we did not, that that wouldn't have been something she did to me, that would have been a failure in the Department of Motor Vehicles. That would be called poor training. Yeah, again, silly example, just trying to stay away from the inflammatory ones. I'll let you go ahead and make the transference. But that's what critical race theory is about. Uh, racism is normal. It is the common experience daily of people of color. Critical race theory says that because the systems are racist, that means the common experience of people of color is to experience racism on a daily basis. Second, truth is socially constructed. That sounds a lot like our modern secular story of which this is a subset, and that is justice laws, that just, they're simply there, they're not there because they're true or they're good, they're there to further the oppressive power of the majority. Truth is socially constructed, it doesn't exist unless you make it. Third, the institutions in America are inherently racist and the structure must be overturned. This is like Marx and the communist revolution. I'm not, that was a poor choice of words because I'm not implying that there's gonna be some revolution. My point is that you don't go and say, hey, I don't think this system's fair, let's tweak this thing. That was liberal democratic policy in 1964. That is not critical race theory or the modern thing. It's, the point is, it's so inherently, in this case, racist, that it must be remade. That's why you see, and I want you to understand, this makes sense to you. I want us to understand why people would say abolish the police, uh, open the jails and let everybody out. You saw those cries, and some of you may say, boy, that made no sense to me at all. If you thought like this, if this was your worldview, understood it, it would make every sense in the world because that whole system is completely 
racist in this, in this case and needs to be completely built from the ground up. Critical race theory believes the institutions are inherently racist. The economic institutions, educational institutions, uh, legal institutions, all of the societal institutions are corrupted. And in fact, that's what's causing our social problem, the institutions. It's not Terry doing something that's racist so much as it's the institution behind Terry. And then finally, white people are incapable of non-racism. This is not everything about critical race theory, but everything I'm writing here is gleaned, and I'm gonna show you some prominent writings, because my goal is to be an honest broker of this information. I will become partisan when we talk about the Bible, because that is what I believe, and I believe it can be demonstrated to be true and wholesome and useful for human flourishing. But my point to you is these ideas are not something I made up or we got off of Fox News or CNN. These ideas come from the literature of critical race theory. And so I'd like to go into it a little bit and explore it from the point of view of critical race theory as you look at this social problem called racism and it, we have a problem, right? This is real, this isn't made up. There is and has been racism in America. But as you look at that problem, how is it that you diagnose it? These are your diagnostic tools. And so what you tend to see, okay, this is a good time to pause. I notice that my great question asker has a few questions. And I don't wanna go so fast that, that we don't get a good understanding because all these lessons will build on each other. So time out for a second as to what are the implications of critical race theory and let's see what questions do we have. Um, does the word systemic indicate that the person speaking is probably seeing things through the lens of critical theory? This, I'm painting with a broad brush, but when you hear the words systemic this or systemic that in connection with race, that is an idea from critical race theory. For example, back in 1964, and I just wanna contrast this because uh, the ideas that were driving things then, and they were, well, Republicans and Democrats, but let me just simplify it. The Democrats, because a Democratic president that signed it, right? So the Democratic Party that was proposing this at the time was believed in liberal democratic values. They did not believe that every institution in America needed to be torn down. It was so infused with, in this case, racism, systemically racist, can't be remodeled, can't be fixed, gotta be a total, total makeover, right? They did not think that, but critical race theory, as part of the modern narrative, does. So typically when you hear that word, that is, that is an expression of these ideas. So I'm painting with a little bit of a broad brush, but yes, when you hear that on the news, this is the point of view that's being represented. Good question. Can you comment on the statement that today many people promoting racial discrimination have not been discriminated against? The statement today, many people who are part of this uh, secular discussion have not themselves been discriminated against is one of those, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to, I don't have an ax to grind here. That is self-evidently true. And I mean that very literally. I wish I could find this picture, the picture that makes 2020 to me. 
So there are these police officers lined up. I believe it was in Washington, D.C., might have been Chicago. And you know how they're just standing there and people are in their grill, just yelling at them, right? Which, remarkable restraint. Again, I'm not taking a side like, oh yeah, all police are good and all protesters are bad. That is not my point. But here's the iconic thing to me. You have middle-class, white, soccer mom, Gucci purse, just screaming at black police officer standing in line. That, to me, captured this whole thing. There is no way in the world that, and I'm not knocking this lady, but I'm just envisioning this picture. I couldn't find it. I suspect there's some kind of conspiracy. But anyway, I couldn't find this picture, but you get my point. Yes, of course. There is no way this lady experienced racial discrimination in her life, and she's screaming at the police officer, black police officer, who might have. I mean, I don't know, but he might very well have. Yes, there's no doubt, and that's what I'm saying is, this is different than it was 40 years ago. This modern secular story and critical race theory are different. I'm not trying to pass judgment, I really want us to understand, but absolutely, you can hold this view of the world whether or not you have ever experienced discrimination yourself. In fact, it is considered a virtuous thing to do in this religion, in this belief system, to champion things when you haven't been, and in fact, to admit your own systemic racism yourself. I'm just saying that's very consistent with this. So great question, but self-evidently that is correct. And so I have a question about point number four and how is it that we deal with that since it would appear to be incurable? And I think maybe you just answered that question. Yes, when I, I wanna talk about the diagnosis from this point of view. And as I talk about this diagnosis, I'm gonna quote from very influential books that are, they were all bestsellers. So I'm not off in some corner of the world. I want you to be understanding how this thinking goes. And at the end, I'm gonna give you the prescription. How do you fix this? And maybe we'll pick up that question then. So let's elaborate on some of these points. Here's a great example. This book, by the way, White Fragility, New York Times bestseller. This book is very, very influential in our culture. Whether you have read it or not, and if you haven't, you say, oh, Terry, should I read that book? No, I'll just tell you about it. Uh, because you won't, many of you, if you don't share that worldview, you're really gonna hate this book. But if you share that worldview, yeah, stick it to them. Anyway, so Robin D'Angelo says this, and this is the point about inherent racism. A positive white identity is an impossible goal. White identity is inherently racist. White people do not exist outside of white supremacy. It is baked into the system. Now, once again, let me go back to my proviso. I'm not trying to provoke an emotional response one way or another about this. I don't have an ax to grind here, but I am gonna tell you the truth and I'm going to tell you what proponents of this idea say because that's the only way you'll understand the secular argument and that's the only way you'll understand why Jesus Christ is so radically different. But that is basically the idea and again, very, very influential book, is it the idea that in racism is inherent. Now, other critical theories will make the same statement about other things, but we're talking about critical race theory. 
And consequently, when you look at this social problem, you look at it through this lens, okay? Can this be cured under this system by me as a white male? No, I am inherently racist. I can't even envision life outside of a white supremacy model. Do you understand what I'm saying? Again, it's systems and institutions more than me because I am helpless in this. The Bible thinks differently, but that is this point of view. Equality versus equity. This is really important to understand because equality is having substantially the same rights and opportunities because nothing's perfect, right? But substantially, everybody, whether you're male, you're female, you're black, you're white, you're Asian, whatever, and this is what this country is committed to. It's what this country's failed in big ways at times, but this is the commitment of this American experiment, is equality, that people have the same rights and the same opportunities. That's not true today in all cases, and we need to continue to make it true because it is the fundamental commitment of the American experiment. But that's what equality is, equal opportunities and equal rights. Equity is creating similar outcomes to very different things. But in our cultural conversation, if you have inequity, you have inequality. The other word for inequality is discrimination. And in our discussion, the other word for that is racism. If you have inequity, differences in outcome, for example, about 13% of the people in America are black, 50% are male, 50% are female. If you were to say, go to a corporate board and 13% of the members weren't black, 50% weren't female, et cetera, you get my point. That is not equitable. That's true. It doesn't reflect the makeup of the society around it. It is an inequity. That's just what the word means. I'm not making a value judgment. That's just what that word means. Equality, if you see an inequity under critical race theory, that means there is racism. That means there is inequality. Thomas Sowell, whose books I do recommend to you, very bright thinker uh, about this. Uh, I mean, just very incisive thinker. If you've known Thomas Sowell for 40 years or so, he's just been a really incisive thinker in general, not just about this topic. But disproportionate representation, that's called inequity, does not imply inequality. Well, that is self-evidently true, but it is an article of faith where you see inequity you must have inequality. Can that be true? Oh, it most certainly can be true, and there are times when it most certainly is true, but not necessarily. I'm gonna give you a couple of statistics, and I'm not trying to provoke anybody, but this is so obvious what Sowell is saying is this. 74% of NBA players are black, and the rest of them are a very mix of all kinds of things. That is inequity. And I say that with, I'm not saying that with any value judgment, it just is what it is, that's not equitable. However, I do not believe, I do not see any evidence that there is inequality in the NBA. In other words, let's say you're Hispanic 
you are vastly underrated or underrepresented, excuse me, underrepresented in the NBA. Does that mean you were discriminated against? I find no evidence of that. And that's what Seoul is saying. Could it be that the NBA got together and says, no Hispanic guys? Possible, I see no evidence of that, nor do any of us believe it. I chose things that are just blatantly obvious. 88% of nurses in America are female. That is not equitable. About half of them should be guys, right? But they're not. So it is not equitable. However, do any of you find any evidence or believe that there is discrimination against men? No, there's not. So all Soul is saying is he's challenging this and saying equity and equality are two different things. Can there be discrimination? Yes. Is there evidence of it? But the idea of critical race theory is anywhere you find inequity, you have inequality because of a power imbalance. Fair enough? Lived experience versus truth. We are really gonna talk about this in our next lesson when we get into the church because we, I mean, my eyes are being opened to a lot of things as I did research for this. I listened to a lot of voices uh, on this, uh, this whole topic. Uh, as you can see, read some books that were kind of unpleasant to read, but really important to understand how people think. This is going to come into play in the church, and I want us, I think this will change our heart on some things. But from the point of view of critical race theory, one's personal experience is the truth. You understand what I'm saying? Truth is not a capital T truth. Truth serves the purposes. Your lived experience is your truth. And only those groups who have lived the truth of oppression can understand it or speak about it. Stop and think about this for a minute. When was the last time you looked at a statement, and I started to do this, but I felt like you'd be mad at me for tricking you. I could take a statement, a quote, put it up there, not tell you who said it you would think differently of it than if you had seen it based on the color of the skin of the person who said it. Where did that come from? That comes from this idea that you can only speak authoritatively about your lived experience. This is part of this idea of critical race theory. You're gonna hear this uh, if you pay attention to what's going on. Vody Balkum, who is a Christian, I admire very much. Later, I'm gonna recommend a book that just came out of his on Monday. Uh, that I'm devouring and it is very biblically solid. But here's his observation. By virtue of being oppressed, one has access to knowledge the oppressor does not have. So knowledge itself depends on what group you are in. I'll give you one simple example of this. How did it ever come about in our country that, it, uh, that you could lose your job for saying a word that you can say and not lose your job. Does that strike, I mean, I just want you to step back. Again, I'm not trying to be inflammatory, just step back and observe. How did that ever come to be? That's how that came to be. You can say that because you have lived the experience of being left-handed. You cannot say that because you're in the powerful right-handed group. Again, I'm not trying to be funny, I just want you to really want you to understand this. Vody Bauckham has it right, that one of the tenets is, unless you've lived it, you don't understand it, you can't speak to it. And finally, group identity versus individual identity. This is a huge thing. And I'm gonna get to Nicole Hannah-Jones' quote in a minute. You probably know her from the 1619 Project, but if you don't, that's okay. Here's the issue. 
is that your identity, this is critical theory in general, but critical race theory, comes from the group that you belong to. You're a black person, you're a white person, you're a Hispanic person, you're an Asian person. That is your identity. There's not much individual identity. In other words, you as an individual, and remember, social ills are not primarily because of my actions, they're because of the culture. Your opinions, your voting patterns, everything about you is really more determined by the group that you inhabit. This is what critical theory says, critical race theory says. Here's the problem. And this is what I wanna point out. Some of the cracks in this idea, ideologies that are not robust, shall we say, that's a polite way of saying have real problems, uh, have cracks in them. And here's one of the cracks. If your group is your identity, what do you do? I'm gonna use an example. What do you do with a black man or woman who does not buy into this? What do you do with Vody Bauckham? who says, I believe in the Bible, and we're gonna talk about what he believes, what I believe, what many of you believe, and if you don't, fair enough, let's reason together, let's, let's talk about this, is Vody Bauckham says, well, unfortunately, I am black, and I believe a biblical narrative, I do not buy into that. I don't think my identity comes from being black, I actually think it comes from Jesus Christ. How do you deal with that in critical race theory? Doesn't that seem like that undermines one of your basic tenets? Well, Nicole Hannah-Jones tweeted this out, and this, this is the understanding. You're gonna hear about this a lot in the news too. There is a difference between being politically black and being racially black. In other words, there are people who are black spokespeople who do not agree with this view of the world, do not hold this belief system, and they then are called, oh, been called various things, as I can think about the literature that I've read, traitors to your race, you're not really black. I suppose you could say this about whites or Hispanics too, but this happens to be what we're talking about. Or you are not politically black, you're just racially black. And I wanted you to understand that because you see, ah, I see, there is an answer to everything that these belief systems are held religiously, okay? We're gonna move on to the prescription for then, given all this, what is the prescription for this societal problem? But before we do that, let's take some questions. Well, first, I just wanna say that from my lived experience, the NBA is discriminatory because of the height of the goal. <laughs> That's a very good point. Had that been lower, you'd be there. Pretty sure. <laughs> um, okay, so critical race theory, white people are incapable of being non-racist. That is a tenet of critical race theory. Is not Terry telling you that's the case, but I want us to understand that, yes. Right, so what is their perspective on can black people be racist? Okay, I, okay, I know this is gonna rub, go against the grain. I just want you to inhabit this worldview for a minute. That's not even an operative question because black people are an oppressed group. Do you understand? I'm not trying to dodge this question. Get your head inside critical race theory. I told you, justice, consistency, what you call double standard is not a double standard. For example, that question says, is coming from a view that says, hey, if it's true here, why can't it be true there? You're off, you're out of jeopardy. Uh, bottom line is, is because 
this, this particular group is an oppressed group, the same standards do not apply. Remember, truth and justice are different depending on those groups. That is a consistent with this understanding. That question never comes up because it's not a valid question in that system. Good, that's a very good point that you make. And it's frustrating to people who don't have that belief system. That's one of the reasons you have a frustrated response if you don't have this is you go, wait a minute, that's not fair. Fairness is not an operative concept in critical theory. It's all about power, right? Um, you talked earlier about institutions that need to be overturned. Yes. Is the church one of those institutions? That is a really good question, and it kind of depends on who you ask. I want to defer that till the next lesson, because I'm talking about the culture now. Next time, I want to go into the church. But we will talk about that. Uh, there are different opinions about that. From a point of view of critical race theory, the Christian church is not a good thing. It is part of the oppressive system, absolutely. And, and if I held this worldview, that's what I would think. It's, that's consistent with that worldview. So what do you do? What is the answer, uh, the suggestion? And I'm gonna keep this part short because we'll explore it some more. Let me make an editorial comment. You're gonna now get my opinion, all right? So I'm, I'm stepping out of, I'm trying to give you good information. I want us to understand this, but my opinion is this. If you look around our world today, would you say that anybody has figured this out? No, you haven't. Hold that thought. Okay, the prescription for this problem, Ibram Kendi is another very, this is a very uh, broad selling book. Again, I, I wanna be very mainstream and get you to understand from the sources what the ideas are. Listen to this, this is so consistent with critical race theory. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. Now, I'm not really gonna talk about anti-racism very much, but what this means is the only way, I'm gonna translate this for you, think about it, it makes perfect sense. The only, the only resolution for the black group of people being oppressed, discriminated against, the object of racism, all those are the same thing, is oppression, a change in the power balance right, a, an oppression, a curtailing of rights of the group that is currently in power. In other words, power balance. Listen to the whole quote. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Think about that a little bit. Let me just simply say it in, in uh, in critical race terms. That is, blacks have less power than whites historically and today. Every institution in America is, Im is immersed in that. The game is rigged from the very beginning, whether it's the economic system, the housing market, the judicial system, everything is systemically supporting that power imbalance. Systemically racist. The only resolution for that is to turn the tables. And what I mean by that is to change the power balance so that now the black identity group has as much or more power than the white identity group. That's what he's saying. That effectively and very consistently 
is the remedy for this problem. Now you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, uh, excuse me, Terry, yes, that would remedy the problem for those who have been oppressed because the oppressed group is now the power group. But doesn't that just perpetuate the power imbalance? Welcome to cultural Marxism. That's the way the world works. It's constant struggle. Is, you understand this? This constant struggle. That's why Malcolm X can say, uh, decades ago, killed in the 60s, but that's why Malcolm X can say, freedom never comes without a revolution. And he's not necessarily, again, I don't want you to misunderstand me, not saying everybody get a gun and go kill all the white people. That's not the point. The point was, this won't come peacefully. This has to be power being taken away. That is the cultural narrative of how the world works. Does that make sense? And so the only remedy is not actually to fix the problem, but just put some new people in power. It is all about power. Who makes the laws? Who staffs the judges? Are you listening to this and you go, oh my goodness, this sounds like our political news today. Who makes the laws? Who staffs the judges? Who puts the Supreme Court justices in place? Power. And it's the change of power and it's always conflict. That is the remedy. The remedy is simply shift the power. Okay, questions? So are you saying that discrimination in and of itself is not bad, only if you personally are discriminated against? From critical race theory's point of view, and this is, a, this, is the, this is the point of view, I'm not telling you everybody in the United States has this view. This is the dominant view that's driving events in America. That, you just watch the news, everything I've said here will go, yeah, makes perfect sense, yeah, it makes perfect sense. In critical race theory's point of view, discrimination in and of itself is not a bad thing. It just depends on who's doing it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying that as a value judgment, that's just, that makes perfect sense. In other words, I'm gonna shift the realm a little bit and I'm gonna champion Asian Americans for a second. There is no doubt that Asian Americans are being discriminated against. This is an opinion, but it's not just my opinion, the government shares it and has sued. But there are certain universities that up the standards for Asian Americans to get in and lower the standards for other people. Well, that is discriminatory by definition. The only question is, is it legitimate? Is it legal discrimination? Discrimination in and of itself, that's not considered bad discrimination. But if you discriminate against another group, it might be bad. So yes, critical race theory doesn't see discrimination. Discrimination is just an, a, an instrument of power. It's not good, it's not bad, it depends on who's wielding it. If the white power group, the supreme group in our culture, is wielding discrimination against a minority group, that's evil, right? If, however, someone is discriminating against, and I'm not telling you everybody believes this, I'm just telling you this is critical race theory, that is just restoring the balance of power. That's why Ibram Kendi can say the remedy for past discrimination is present discrimination, meaning discrimination against the, the group that's not in power can be remedied by discriminatory practices against the group that is. In other words, rebalance the power. 
Again, I'm explaining this, and I hope, my hope is fervently that we understand this. I'm not trying to evoke any emotional response in anyone, and I'm trying to use very reputable sources because I want you to understand what this idea, this system of belief, and it is a belief system, is driving our cultural race conversation. In our next lesson, I want to talk, the church is not immune to what's happening in our culture. And I wanna talk about the church, the Christian church in general, and critical race theory. And I'd like to broadly talk about, and this is where I think we're all gonna be challenged to change our understanding a little bit. Uh, and, and I mean that sincerely, that as we come together and reason together, look at how are race relations doing in the church? Because typically the church does not hold to the modern secular story. What is the state of race relations in the church? What is driving that conversation? And I'd really like to look into that. And then I wanna talk about the biblical idea because the biblical idea is the standard for truth and does inform how we should be dealing with this problem. The church, and I'm gonna say something that every one of you would probably agree with. The church should be the one place this is working. Remember I said, if you look at our culture, you go, there are a lot of different ideas out there, critical race theory being the dominant one, but I have to say, it does not look like it's working. The church is the one place where it should be working. Is it? We'll talk about that next time. Thanks, guys.